things that I love about the scriptures is when we go through, read through the Bible is I love the reality of it. I love the fact that as we read the scriptures, we, what we read is not necessarily that if I was writing it, I wouldn't put certain things in there. There are certain things that as I go through, there are certain things that gives me confidence and it's not because of I, I can read through it and I read these great miracles, I can read these great victories. In fact, sometimes as I read through scriptures, it's the crazy things that give me confidence in what we're reading. One of the moments, and as we begin to look at our identity, one of the things that we are looking at today is one of those moments that as I read it, I kind of step back and I, I kind of have to go, Really? Did they just put that? Did, did they record that? Is that the way they want to be seen? It goes like this. In Matthew chapter 20, and I'm just going to start right in the verse. So if you just kind of, we're going to go like launch right in today. And we're just going to start right with the verse. And here it goes. And you're going to say, well, why are you going to start with that? And I'll kind of get into it as we go on. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, we read this. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. All right, now that's a crazy place to start, but bear with me because as we begin to look at our identity as who we are as a church, there's something that we sometimes need to remember. And Jesus is gonna stop and he's gonna drill into it using a situation, one of those moments where we're gonna look at and say, Really, did they just record that? Is that the way they wanted to be seen? So here's how it starts. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and his disciples are following behind. Now, that's a great place to start, isn't it? Doesn't that bring so much like confidence, inspiration? You came to church today to hear that Jesus was walking to Jerusalem. But here's the reality. As we read that, what we kind of miss, miss is the fact that as Jesus is heading to, towards Jerusalem, he's heading to celebrate Passover. Now, normally celebrating Passover is no big deal, but right now the disciples, as they're heading towards Jerusalem, their heart is feeling a little bit apprehensive because right at this time, as they're heading towards Jerusalem, the religious leaders are almost directly coming after Jesus. They, they now are determined that he has got to go down. There's no room for him in, in Israel. And so they're constantly hammering on him and hammering on him. And so as the Jews, or as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem and his disciples are following him, they're a little nervous. But I got to say this, every Jew's desire was to head to Jerusalem on Passover. At least once before you died, you wanted to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, for those of you who are not totally familiar what Passover is, Passover was a holiday that celebrated the Jews' deliverance from Egypt. It was a time when the Jews, they were celebrating that time when the Jews were once slaves in Egypt. And God had called them to go to a place that he was going to provide them with their own country and their own land. And, and, and they were promised this land flowing with milk and honey. 
And so as they were looking there, it was great, God, you promised us, but how are we as slaves going to get to this land that you're promising us? We can't even, we can't even go to work without giving, being given permission to go to work. We can't take a day off work without giving permission to take a day off work. We can't get married without getting permission. Everything in our lives are dictated to. We are but slaves. Now, the story of Passover continues on because it's the story of a deliverance that goes beyond anything that anyone could do. It's the story of how God came down and he says, all right, Moses, I want you to tell the Jewish people that they're to take a lamb And it gets a bit gory here, and I'm not going to try to hide from it because it is gory. But he said, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to slay it. I want you to take its blood, and then I want you to take its blood, and I want you to rub it on the doorpost of the house. I want you to rub it above the door of the house. And I want it to be as a sign that you trust me and that you're going to obey me. And here's the reality, is if you don't do it tonight... I'm going to send a death angel through Egypt and every house that does not have this blood pushed on its door, above its door and on the sides, I'm going to come in and kill its firstborn. Well, as the Jews went through and as those who obeyed God and those who trusted that God was going to do as he said, they took that lamb and they killed that lamb and they took its blood and they put it on the doorpost. And those that didn't, those of the land of Egypt and the Jews who refused to obey, we are told that that night as the death angel passed through that there was weeping and wailing throughout the country that it was so great that in the morning the Pharaoh got up and said, if you don't get your people out of here, there will be consequences to pay. And in that night, Passover was a celebration that God delivered his people without them even having to lift a finger. That their God was above all gods, that their gods could deliver them when no one else could. And so it was every Jew's idea that let's go to Jerusalem and and we're going to celebrate Passover and we're going to go into the temple and we're going to take a sacrifice and we're going to be there where our God, where we kind of celebrate his presence. And so as they got on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus begins to have a conversation with them. Now, understanding, all right, they're already a little bit apprehensive because they're going into the lion's den in a sense. They're going into a place where Jesus is not wanted. The Jewish religious leaders are saying, it's enough. We don't want him around. He's got to go. We've got to figure out how to get rid of him. And so they're in this battle. And so they're kind of feeling apprehensive. And Jesus, is this a good idea? I don't know if it's a good idea. And in the middle of this walk, And this conversation, Jesus pulls the talk back to a certain place. And here's where he begins to go. And in in verses 18 and 19, he goes and he says this. All of a sudden, the tone changes. Listen, he says, we're going to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus, we know that. We've been walking with you. And he says this, but here's where it gets a little strange. This is where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and to the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. His place 
or his conversation in that moment went to a place that none of us want to talk about. None of us sit around and say, hey, let's have a conversation about death. But Jesus was trying to get them ready for something that they would have to go through, a moment that was going to devastate their lives, a moment that was going to shake the foundations of their faith, a moment that was going to say, do we even believe in God at the moment? Because we've been following this guy for three years and he's been saying he's of God and now look at where he's at. And so he's trying to get them ready and he's trying to prepare them. And so as they're going, you think they would begin to ask questions of, well, maybe questions like this, Jesus, are you sure you've got the timing right? I mean, you do remember all the people right now, they're, they're happy with you. It's just those few religious leaders. Jesus, you sure you know what you're talking? Jesus, hey, just a moment. What about, what about us? What's going to happen to us? If you're going to die, what, what's going to happen to us? Is there something more for us? Or, or are we just done? Are we just closing this group down? You see, it's in this moment that you would think they would begin to say, Jesus, what are you talking about? But it is in this moment that Jesus takes something and gives us a clue to the identity that he calls us to. So with the seriousness of everything that's going on with you would think the questions would be asked, Jesus, are you sure you've got the timing right? I know, yeah, one day we will all die, but Jesus, you're only 33. You've got a few years left. We still have time for that Roman, you know, that Roman kick them out stage that we've been planning for, that, that kind of kingdom where we set up Jerusalem again as a, as a great, great capital city where, where you're going to become the king. You remember that part? And so they're, they're kind of confused. And so in this moment, as he's talking about his death and they're going to Jerusalem and Jesus, I mean, they're already feeling apprehensive. You would think that their minds would go to a place of saying, well, something must be here for me to learn. And instead, their minds go to a different place. Two of Jesus' closest friends, James and John, in Mark, we're told that these two guys were known as James and John's, the sons of thunder. In other words, these were the guys who, they would tell you what was going on in their mind right when they thought it. These were the guys who couldn't keep their mouths shut. These were the guys who, like Jesus, you got it wrong. So in this moment, as Jesus is trying to get them prepared for something serious, they come up with a totally different thought process. And here's where it goes. In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, he says this. And the strange thing is, is I just find this situation totally absurd because then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. Now, she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. We all know you can't say no to your moms, right? I know I can't. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, what is it? You request. And he asked, and she replies, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in place of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. 
You see, in their mind, as they're heading to Jerusalem and Jesus is saying, I'm about to be crucified, I'm about to be turned over, their mind goes to, this must be secret code for we're about ready to kick the Roman no-gooders out of our country. And if we're getting ready to get to that place of revolution, now's the time to be getting ourselves into the right situation in the right spot. We know that Jesus is talking about death. He's not talking about his, surely. He must be talking about the other guys. I just love the fact that as they're thinking this, I mean, they pulled out every trick in the book. I mean, who gets your mom to ask for you? I mean, this is going to the, this is, this is the ultimate trump card right here. Look, I want to say this. All of us have an inbuilt desire to be great. Within each and every one of us, we have a desire that comes from within that desires to be great. We want to be recognized and we want to be respected. There is not one of us, I believe, who goes through life that saying, I just desire to breathe air and to, and to waste the food. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just here. All of us, in our own ways, have a desire for greatness. Oh, I'm not talking about the desire to be the best at something necessarily, even though that is the desire of some. But it's more the fact that I am counted and what I do has value. The problem is, is that with most things that we have, and, I, and by the way, I just want to say, I believe that desire to be great is actually within us from God. That desire to make your life count for something, I believe is from God. The problem is, is that most things that are given to us by God has a side thing, or how do I say it? It has a substitute that we sometimes fall for. We begin to substitute the idea of being great with the idea of winning. You ever heard something like this? There are only two types of peoples in life. There are winners and there are... Ah, oh, you've heard it too. What about this? Second place is only means you're the biggest loser. You ever heard that? I've even heard things such as, look, in life you just have to learn. You either, you learn to lead, you learn to follow, or you just get out of the way. In other words, it's the idea that if you're not out in front doing something, you have no value. There are all sorts of ideas and there are all sorts of things that are pushed at us like, hey, you've got to be a winner. And we begin to substitute the idea of being great with the idea of winning. We have this idea that if we argue better than anyone else, I'm one. And so we'll argue with, I mean, we'll argue with a fence post if we need to, to make sure we're winning. We, we, we get to the point and we have this idea that, well, if I have the most money, that means I've won. If I have the most influence, if I can tell someone what to do, then I've won. And we begin to substitute an idea of greatness with the idea of winning. Look, it's no different for us as a church. And as we begin to look at our identity of who we are as a church, 
I believe as the church, we are called to greatness. The problem is, is that we get caught within the same realm of that idea of what does it mean to be great with the idea of winning. And so even as a church, what does it mean for a win for a church? So as we look around at those of us who call this our church, what, what is it? Well, are there programs? Is there something that meets my needs? If it is, it's a winner for us. Or, or is, it, is it nice enough? I mean, is it the right number of people? Is it enough or is it too little? We, we kind of, all of us have this idea of what does it mean for us to be a winner? Do we have the right stage set? Do we have the right equipment? Do we have enough? And we begin to, you know, hey, what about the right teacher? We have these ideas, what does it look like for us as a church to be a winner? And we all have these ideas. And even as a pastor, we get, you know, I get caught up in this idea too, because what does it look like? And we begin to replace an idea that God calls us to be great with God calls me to be a winner. The problem with being a winner is this. There's no way to measure it. Who measures it? it? It's subjective. It's based upon your feeling. I mean, there's always, if being a winner means you have more money than anyone else, well, usually, unless you're the guy who owns Google or the guy who owns, I don't know, I mean, Elon Musk, how do you define who's a winner? And how does that, I mean, what does that mean, a winner in what? And as a church, as we begin to talk about what we call to be a winner, I don't know how we define that. We are called to greatness, and God calls us to greatness. But are we called to be a winner? You see, the metrics that we use slides up and down like a whoever's got the finger on the slide. Do we have the temperature right in church? We're a winner today. What about the sound volume? We must be a winner today. What about the music? Is the music right? We must be a winner today. Is it the right number of people today? We must be a winner today. What about the lighting? The lighting right? We must be a winner today. If, what about, hey, and we can begin to slide it up and down. And it all depends upon who's got their finger on the slide of what it, what it means. You know that for your own life. You can look at your life and you can say, I'm a winner because I did this and I did this and I did this. And someone beside you looks at you and says, you ain't done nothing. There's no value in that. Or someone else may be looking at you saying, wow, you look at everything you've done. You're a winner, and in your own life, you're feeling empty and like, I, I, can't, I haven't achieved anything. I haven't accomplished anything, and I don't feel like a winner. You see, whoever's got their finger on the pause, it, I mean, how do we define it? God calls us to greatness. As a church, man, we're called to many things. Our DNA has been built with certain things, and so we've been, we've been built to be dreamers, to see beyond, to see something more than. 
We've been called to be brought together as one, that in Jesus Christ we've come together as a single, but we've also been called to greatness. But how do we define it? Well, Jesus says, guys, whoa, whoa, hang on. You want to sit at my right and on my left? And so he looks at James and he looks at John and he says, guys, you think you got what it takes to be a winner? Do you think you can put in the hard yards? Now, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, and I encourage you to go back and read it because it's really interesting. But, he, but basically, he looks at him, and he says, do, do you think you can put it all on the line to be a winner? You see, in their mind, they're trying to jockey up for their position. We need that position. We need wins. We need to be great. We need to be significant. And Jesus looks at him and he's dead honest with him. And he says, guys, do you think you really have what it takes? Do you think you can do it? Do you think you're going to be willing to just, hey, here it is. I'll give you my all. And of course, they looked at him and said, we're the sons of thunder. You know what we can do. Jesus, you just tell us what to do. We'll do it. And Jesus looks at him and says, sadly, you're right, you will learn to give it all and you will be required of you. But I wanted to change your definition of what it means to be great. You are called to great things. And about this time, the other disciples begin to hear what's going on. And, and we read this. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were... Miffed, okay, um, this is the new, new James Version, okay? They were aggravated, they were frustrated, they were angry. What kind of, hang on, there's 12 of us, and you guys are trying to jockey in before, I mean, the dust hasn't even settled. He's talking about dying, you're trying to get in and get the special spots? We want those spots. We've done just as much to earn these as you have. Now, it doesn't actually say that, but what we get is that feeling, that idea of indignant. They're not indignant because of that was just an inappropriate time to ask that question. They're indignant because the reality is, is they want that position for themselves, which we all want. We all want significance. We all want value. We all want respect. We all want to make sure that our lives have counted. They've just spent three and a half years of their lives following a guy all through the desert and doing crazy things and we want to make sure it's counted. You see, there's this thing that lies within them that said, we're angry because you asked before I got to ask. And if he listens to you and actually gives it to you because you asked first, that's not fair for me. And it began to, you know, who's going to be the winner? That's what they were worried about. Who's going to end up being the winner in this situation? And this is a good question. There's 12 of them. They've followed. They've done some odd things. Jesus calls them together. And he says, now that you guys are beginning to think about what it means to be a winner, or what significance is looking like, I want to give you how you can actually define greatness. 
And he goes on and he says this. And Jesus called them together and he says, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. You see, Jesus told them what we all assume. The great leaders are the ones who speak the loudest. The great leaders are the ones who can push their agendas through. The great leaders are the ones who, when they say something, you don't ask, what? Are you kidding? Instead, you say, yes, sir. Those are great leaders. Great leaders are people who, hey, it needs to be done. I'm going to tell you to get it done, and you're going to do it. No excuses, no, no, no if, and, or but. Get it done. Get it done now. But we cannot all be those kind of people. God has not called us all to be sergeants. But he has called us all to greatness. So Jesus begins to stop and he says, hey, it's not what you're thinking. You've missed the mark. You've missed the point. You understand what great leadership is because you've seen some guys above you who've told you what they want to do and you couldn't question, you couldn't ask. They were your leaders. And that's what you want to do. You want to have other people underneath you that you say, hey, go do this. And they go do that. Let's get this done. And they go get this done for you. But he says, hey, you are called to something greater than winning. You're called to a greater than winning. And in their mind, I'm sure they're saying, how can you be greater than winning? Because I'm calling you to greatness beyond winning. And all you have to do to be great is to be faithful in a very small thing. Now, I don't know. If your name is something like James and John, the sons of thunder. Being great in something small is not sounding very significant at this moment. But what he calls them to is what he calls us to. What he looks out and he says, Here, hey, guys, this is what it means to be great. Is what he looks down through the ages and he says to us today, as we're sitting here as a church and as individuals, if you want to be great, if you want to be beyond winners, here's what you need to do. 26 or 28, he goes on to say, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That small thing that we are called to is others. Greatness comes when we get our eyes off of ourselves and see others. 
when we're willing to go beyond what makes me feel comfortable to what is best for someone else. When the first thing that comes to our mind is instead of being, you know, hey, what's in it for me? To more, how will this help? It's like being a parent. You know that spot as a parent where things are not comfortable, where you love and you push and you encourage and you nudge and you push and you love and you scold and you push and you love and nudge and encourage and push and push and nudge. When you get nothing out of it, you do it just because you love someone, you care about them, you want to see the best for them. As parents, I believe that's what most of us, I believe that's what we should all want for our kids. And so we push them and we encourage them and we, we build them up and we, we keep saying, what can I do to, that you can succeed in life? What is, what is in it for you? What, what, what do I need to do for you? You see, being a good parent is great. That's greatness. You don't come out being a winner as a good parent. There's no win in being a good parent. Let me just tell you, it's just heartache, it's hurtful, it's hard, but you come out with something better than being a winner. You come out with greatness. When those who come behind you succeed in life, you can take a deep breath in and say, I have succeeded beyond what I could imagine. And that's what God calls us to as individuals and as a church. We are called to love, to pray for, to care for, to encourage, to build up, to help people come into a relationship with the one who loves them and died for them. whether it feels good or not, whether it allows us to look like a winner or not, whether it is comfortable or not. Look, I, I want to say this. As a church, as we're getting ready to close, we're called to greatness. So what does that mean for us? What does that really look like for us? If we're called to greatness, what does that look like? Well, I can say this. It looks like what we have already been doing. One of the things that I love about who we are that's a part of our DNA is that you guys have done great things. You guys do the uncomfortable things so that others may hear. The music is done so that everyone, those who do not know Jesus Christ, can stop and say, I can feel comfortable and come, even though it's not necessarily the most comfortable for all. We change and arrange seats because we care for other people. We do things such as encourage to wear masks because we try to care. We do things that stop to say, what do I need to do? We provide and do things to say, whatever we can do to show that we love. 
And as we get ready to move forward, we're going to continue to have moments where we're going to have to choose in this moment, are we going to be a winner or are we going to choose greatness? And we've got a lot of these moments that will continue to come because that's life. That's what happens with a parent. That's what we do as a church. Will we continue to reach out to those who don't know? Will we begin to put the needs of those who do not know Jesus Christ above the needs of us being comfortable? You see, we're not called to having been great. We're called to continue to be great. And that's what I love about who we are. It's a part of our DNA. We are called to greatness. Winning, oh, it's fun to do once in a while. If you've never tried it, it's worth trying. But it's short-lived. It has little value. Greatness is about who we are becoming. It's what we do continually. So I just want to encourage us as a church, as we look forward, may you never choose winning over being great. Father, this morning as we close in prayer, Lord, it is so easy and it happens so quickly. We begin to trade temporary wins over being great. Father, sometimes we find ourselves wanting to win an argument instead of being great. Sometimes we would rather a position than to stop and look at a person. And Father, I know that in each of us there is a desire that we matter, that we count. And Lord, you call us to that. Not to be the biggest, not to be the best, not to be the flashiest, but to care, to love, to reach out, to see other people for who they are as people who are made in your image. And so Father, I pray as a church, may we truly care may we truly desire great things may we do great things and leave the winning to you and we say thank you for your love thank you father that you call us to something greater than you call us into greatness and we say thank you in your name we pray